Chapter Six of Bunker Bean by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Again, we chant pregnant phrases from the Bard of Dress. It is cut to give the wearer the appearance of perfect physical development, and the effect produced so improves his form that he unconsciously strives to attain the appearance which the garment gives him. He expands his chest draws in his waist, and stands erect. A psychologist, that bard, acutely divining a basic law of this absurd human nature. In a beggar's rags, few men could be more than beggars. In kingly robes, most men could be kings, could achieve the finished and fearless behavior that is said to distinguish royalty. Bunker Bean, the divinely credulous, now daily arrayed himself in royal vestures, set a well-fashioned crown upon the brow of him, and strode forth, scepter in hand. Invisible were these trappings, to be sure. He was still no marked man in a city street, but at least they were there to his own truth-lit eyes. And he mostly truly did expand his chest, draw in his waist, and stand erect. Yea, in the gaze of inhumanly large policemen would he do these things. This, indeed, was one of the first prerogatives his royalty claimed. He discovered that it was not necessary for any but criminals to fear policemen. It might still be true that an honest man of moderate physique and tender sensibilities could not pass one without slight tremors of self-consciousness, but by such they were a most prodigious thought to be regarded as one's paid employees. Within the law one might even greet them pleasantly in passing, and be answered civilly. Bean was now equal to approaching one and saying, "'Good evening, officer.' He would sometimes cross a street merely to perform this apparently barren rite. It stiffened his spine. It helped him to realize that he had indeed been a king and the sire of kings. That kingly stuff was in him. So marked an advance in his spirit was not made in a day, however. It came only after long dwelling in thought upon his splendid past and two after he had envisioned the circumstance that he was now a man of means. The latter was not less difficult of realization than his kingship. He had thought little about money, save at destitute moments, had dreamed of riches as a vague, rather pleasant, but not important possibility. But kings were rich. No sooner had his kingship been proclaimed than money was in his hand, and of course more money would come to him, as it had once come on the banks of the Nile. He did not question how or whence, he only knew. It was three days before he bethought himself to finish the reading of Aunt Clara's letter, suspended at sight of the astounding enclosure. He had begun that letter a harried and trivial unit of the toiling masses. He came to finish it as a complacent and lordly figure. I enclose the check which wipes out all but seven thousand dollars of that money from your dear mother with which dearest Edward so rashly speculated years ago, in the hope of making you a wealthy man. I am happy to say that five thousand dollars of this I can pay at once out of the money I have saved. I have been investing for years, as I could spare it, in the stock of the Federal Express Company, and now have fifty shares, which I will transfer to you at par, though they are quoted a little above that, if you are willing to accept them. The balance I will pay when I have sold the house and furnishings, as with my dearest husband gone, I no longer have any incentive to keep on working. I am tired. 
it is a good safe stock paying four and a half per cent and i would advise you to keep it and also put the insurance money into the same stock a very nice man in the life insurance office said it ought to pay more if the business was better managed if you turned your talents to the express business you might learn to manage it yourself because you always had a fine head for such things and by owning a lot of their stock you could get the other stockholders to elect you to be one of their directors which would be a fine occupation for you not too hard work and plenty of time to read good books which i hope you find same now of evenings in place of frittering away your time with associations of questionable character and ruining your health by late hours and other dissipation though i know you are always of good habits affectionately aunt clara p s it has rained hard for two days there it was money came to you federal express was only a name to him he had written it sometimes at breed's dictation but his aunt claire was old enough to know about such things and he would follow her advice though being a director of an express company seemed as unexciting as it was doubtless respectable what he had at times been wild enough to dream was that he should be the principal owner of a major league baseball club and travel with the club see every game if he should temporarily become the director of an express company he would have it plainly understood that he might resign at any moment night and morning he surveyed himself in the glass not in the way of ordinary human conceit he was clear-sighted enough as to the pulchritude of his present encasement but with the eyes of the young who see visions raptly scrutinizing his meagre form he chanted a line of verse that seemed apposite build thou more stately mansions o my soul he was already persuaded that his next incarnation would enrich the world with something far more stately than the mansion that he at present occupied something on the gordon dane order he suspected and it was not too soon to begin laying those unseen foundations to think the thought that must come before the thing he was veritably a king yet for a time he must masquerade as a wage-slave a serf to breed and an inferior to bulgers considered as a mere spectacle he began to word long conversations with these two noiseless conversations be it understood in which the snappy dialogue went unuttered his sarcasm to bulger in the matter of that ten-dollar loan was biting ruthless witty invariably leaving the debtor in direst confusion with nothing to retort bean always had the last word both with bulger and breed turning from them with easy contempt he was less hard on breed than on bulger because of the ball game a man who could behave like that in the presence of baseball must have good in him nevertheless in this silent way he curtly apprised breed of his intentions about working beyond stipulated hours and when breed was rash enough to adopt a tone of bluster bean silenced him with a magnificent i can imagine nothing of less consequence he carried this silent warfare into public conveyances and when stout aggressive men glared at him because he had a seat he quickly and wittily reduced them to such absurdity in the public eye that they had to flee in impotent rage the once modest street row with a bully twice his size was enlarged in caste there were now as befitted a king two bullies who writhed in pain each with a broken arm while the slight but muscular youth with a knowledge of jiu-jitsu walked coolly off flecking dust from one of his capable shoulders sometimes he paused long enough to explain the affair in a few dignified words to an admiring policeman who found it difficult to believe that this stripling had vanquished two such powerful brutes 
Sometimes another act was staged in which he conferred his card upon the amazed policeman and later explained the finesse of his science to him, thereby winning his deathless gratitude. He became quite chummy with this officer and was never to be afraid of anything any more. He glowed from this new exercise. He became more witty, more masterful, while the repartee of his adversaries sank to wretched piffle. He met disaster only once. That was when his conscience began to hurt him after a particularly bitter assault on Bulger, in which the latter had been more than usually contemptible in the matter of the overdue debt. He felt that he had really been too hard on the fellow, and Bulger, who must have been psychically gifted himself, came over from his typewriter at that moment and borrowed an additional five without difficulty. In later justification, Bean reflected that he would almost certainly have refused this second loan had it not been for his softened mood of the moment. Still, he was glad that, with his instinctive secrecy, he had kept from Bulger any knowledge of his new fortune. With Bulger aware that he had thousands of dollars in the bank, something told him that distressing complications would have ensued. He debated several days about this money. He resolved at length that a thousand dollars should be devoted to the worthy purpose of living up to his new condition. A thousand dollars would, for the present, give him an adequate sensation of wealth. Three thousand more must be paid to Professor Balthazar when his secret agents brought it from its long-hidden resting place. Suppose the professor pleaded unexpected outlays, officials not too easily bribed or something, and demanded a further sum. At once, in a crowded street, he brought about a heated interview with the professor, in which the seer was told that a bargain was a bargain, and that if he had thought Bean was a man to stand nonsense of any sort, he was indeed wildly mistaken. Bean was going to hold him to the exact sum, and his parting sting was that the professor had better get a new lot of controls if his old ones hadn't been able to tell him this. After he had cooled a little, he reflected that if there were really any small sums the professor would be out of pocket, he would of course not be mean. This left him four thousand dollars with which to buy his way into the directorate of that express company, as suggested by Aunt Clara. He had learned a great deal about buying stocks. He knew there was a method called buying on a margin, which was greatly superior to buying the shares outright. You received a great many more shares for a given sum. Therefore he would buy thus, and the sooner be a director. He liked to think of that position in his moments of lesser exaltation. He recalled his child self sitting beside his father on the seat of an express wagon. It was queer how life turned out. Sometimes you couldn't get away from a thing. Maybe he would always be a director. Still, he could go into baseball, too. He did a business with the broker without a twinge of his old timidity. Indeed, he was rather bored by the affair. The broker took his money, and later in the day he learned that he controlled a very large number of the shares of the Federal Express Company. He forgot how many, but he knew it was a number befitting his new dignity. Having done this much, he thought the directorship could wait. Let them come to him if they wanted him. He had other affairs on. There was the new dog. It was not the least of many great days in Bean's life, that golden afternoon when he sped to the Burden Animal Store and paid the last installment of Napoleon's ransom. The creature greeted him joyously, as of yore through the wall of glass, frantically essaying to lick the hand that was so close and yet so unaccountably withheld. The money passed, and one dream, at least, had been made to come true. For the first time he was in actual contact with the wonderful animal.
he knows me said bean as the dog hurled itself delightedly upon him we've been friends for a long time i think he got so he expected me every afternoon napoleon barked emphatically in confirmation of this he seemed to be saying hurry let's get out of here before he puts me back in that window the old man confessed that he would miss the little fellow he advised bean to call him nap napoleon was no right name for a dog of any character you know what that fellow been if he been here now he volunteered at parting i tell you you bed your life he been a companion um partner in full with that great american train robber chessie james sure he would my grandmother she seen him like she could maybe reach out a finger and touch him i'll call him nap promised bean he had ceased to feel blamable for the shortcomings of napoleon the first but it was just as well not to have the name used too freely when he issued to the street the excited dog on a leash he was prouder than most kings have ever had occasion to be now he went to inspect flats he would at last have apartments and in a neighborhood suitable for a growing dog he bestowed little attention on the premises submitted to his view occupying himself chiefly with observing the effect of his dog on the various janitors some were frankly hostile some covertly so some didn't mind dogs but there was rules and some defeated themselves by a display of overenthusiasm that manifestly veiled indifference or perhaps downright like but a janitor was finally encountered who met the test in ten seconds bean knew that cassidy would be a friend to any dog he did not fawn upon the animal nor explode with praise he merely bestowed a glance or two upon the distinguished head and later rubbed the head expertly just back of the erect ears this while he exposed to bean the circumstances under which one steam-heated apartment suitable for light housekeeping chanced to be vacant the parties it appeared was given a dutch lunch to a gang of their friends at five a m of a morning and that was bad enough in a place that was well kept up but in the second place they got scrappin which had swiftly resulted in an ambulance call for the host and lessee and the patrol wagon for his friends that were not in much better shape themselves praise god but the place was all cleaned up again and would be a jewel for any young man that could take a drink or maybe two and then stop bean knew cassidy by that time and his inspection of the apartment was perfunctory cassidy would be a buckler and shield to the dog in his absence cassidy would love him the dog on his spread forefeet touched his chest to the ground and with ears erect eyes agleam and inciting soprano gurgles invited the world to a mad mad game cassidy only said aquan would you now but each word was a caress and cassidy became bean's janitor he moved the next day bringing his effects in a cab the cabman professed never to have seen a dog as classy as knapp and voiced the cheerful prophecy that in any bench show he would make them all look like mutts he received a gratuity of fifty cents in addition to the outrageous fee he demanded for coming so far north although he had the appearance of one who uses liquor to excess and could probably not have qualified as a judge of dogs bean's installation under the guidance of cassidy was effected without delay the apartment proved to be entirely suitable for a king in abeyance there was a bedroom a parlor an alcove off the ladder that cassidy said was the library and a good place for a dog to sleep and beyond this was a feminine diminutive of a kitchen prudently called a kitchenette bean felt like an insect in such a labyrinth of a place 
he forgot where he put things and then overcome by the vastness and number of rooms forgot what he was looking for losing himself in an abstracted and fruitless survey of the walls he must buy things to hang on the walls especially over certain stains on the wall of the parlor or throne room to which in the heat of battle doubtless certain items of the late dutch lunch had been misdirected but he knew what to buy etchings in the magazine stories he read aside from the very rich characters who had galleries of old masters there were two classes one without taste that littered its rooms with expensive but ill-advised bric-a-brac and one that wisely contented itself with a few good etchings he bought a few good etchings at a department store for a dollar ninety seven each and felt irreproachable and when he had arranged his books about napoleon the first and ancient egypt he was ready to play the game of living mrs cassidy did his rooms and cassidy already showed the devotion of an old and tried retainer the cassidys made him feel feudal at night while knapp fought a never decided battle with a sofa pillow or curled asleep on the couch with a half inch of silky pink tongue projecting from between his teeth he read egypt the black land where had been the first great people of the ancient world he devoured the fruit of the lotus the tamarisk the pomegranate and held cats to be sacred funny that feeling he had always had about cats afraid of them even in childhood it had survived in his being there he had lived and reigned in that flat valley of the nile between borders of low mountains until his name had been put down in the book of the dead and he had gone for a time to the hall of osiris or perhaps he read reports of psychical societies signed by men with any number of capital letters after their names cool-headed scientists university professors psychologists grave students all who were constantly finding new and wonderful mediums and achieving communication with the disembodied he could tell them a few things only of course he wouldn't make a fool of himself he could show them something too when the secret agents of professor balthasar came bringing it or he looked into the opal depths of his shell and saw visions of his greatness to come and knapp unregarded wrenched away one of his slippers and pretended to find something alive and formidable to be growled at and shaken and savagely macerated there came on a certain fair morning a summons from breed who was detained at his country place by the same malady that bulger had once so crudely diagnosed bean was to bring out the mail and do his work there the car waited below at another time the expedition might have attracted him he had studied pictures of that country place in the sunday papers now it meant a separation from his dog who was already betraying for the cassidys a greater fondness than the circumstances justified and it meant an absence from town at the very time when the secret agents might happen along with it of course he could refuse to go but that would cost him his job and he was not yet even the director of an express company dejectedly he prepared for the journey better take some things along suggested tully who had conveyed the order to him he may keep you three or four days bulger followed him to the hall look out for grandma the demon warned bulger if i was the old man i'd slip something in her tea who who is she demanded bean just his dear sweet old mother that's all talk you to death suffragette oh say reaching the street his gloom was not at all lightened by the discovery of the flapper in the waiting car she gave him the little double nod and regarded him with that peculiar steely kindness he so well remembered 
it was undoubtedly kind that look yet there was an implacable something in its quality that dismayed him he wondered what she exactly meant by it get in commanded the flapper and bean got in tell him where to go for your things bean told him i'm glad it's on our way pops is in an awful state he swore right out at his own mother this morning and he wants you there in a hurry maybe we'll be arrested for speeding bean earnestly hoped they would pops in health was ordeal enough but he remained silent trusting to the vigilance of an excellent constabulary the car reached the steam-heated apartment without adventure however and he quickly secured his suitcase and consigned the dog for an uncertain period to a cassidy who was brazenly taking more than a friendly interest in him cassidy talked bluntly of how we ought to feed him as if he were already a part owner of the animal the car flew on increasing a speed that had been unlawful almost from the start he wondered what the police were about he might write a sharp letter to the newspapers signed indignant pedestrian only it would be too late he was being volleyed at the rate of thirty-five miles an hour into the presence of a man who had that morning sworn at his mother he wished he could say for one day have breed back there on the banks of the nile set him to work building a pyramid or weeding the lotus patch foot or no foot he'd show him he switched this resentment to the young female at his side he wanted her to quit looking at him that way it made him nervous but a muffled glance or two at her disarmed this feeling she was all right to look at he thought had pretty hands and all that she had stripped off her gloves when they reached the open country and she didn't talk which was what he most feared about her sex he recalled that she had said hardly a word since the start he might have supposed himself forgotten had it not been for that look of veiled determination which he encountered as often as he dared a young dog dashed from a gateway ahead of them and threatened the car furiously they both applied imaginary brakes to the car with feet and hands and taut nerves the puppy escaping death by an inch trotted back to his saved home with an air that comes from duty well performed they looked from the dog to each other i'd make them against the law said bean how could you the idea i mean motors not dogs oh of course they had been brought a little together you go in for dogs asked the flapper he's hesitated going in for dogs seemed to mean more i've got only one just now he confessed wooded hills flew by them the white road flickered forward to their wheels you interested in the movement demanded the flapper again yes he said granny will be delighted to know that so many young men aren't what make is it he inquired preparing to look enlightened when told the name of the vehicle in which they rode oh i mean the movement the movement oh yes he faltered greatly interested he remembered the badge on her jacket and bulger's warning about grandma the demon granny and i marched in the parade this year clear down to washington square if she wasn't so old we'd both run over to london and get arrested in the strand for breaking windows bean shuddered we're making our flag now for the next parade big blue cloth with a gold star for every state that has raised woman from her degradation by giving her a vote he shuddered again although of legal years for the franchise he had never voted if you tried to vote some ward healer would challenge you and you'd like as not be hauled off to the lockup. and what was the good of it the politicians got what they wanted but this he kept to himself granny'll put a badge on you promised the flapper we have to take advantage of every little means 
He was still puzzling over this when they turned through a gateway, imposing with its tangle of wrought iron and gilt, and at a decorously reduced speed, crinkled up a wide drive to the vast pile of grey stone that housed the unfilial breed. A taller and Bean thought a prettier girl than the flapper stepped aside for them, looking at Bean as they passed. One could read her look as one could not read the flapper's. It was outrageously languishing. "'Flirts with everyone. Makes no difference who,' explained the flapper with a venomous sniff. Bean laughed uneasily. "'She's my own dear sister, and I love her, but she's a perfect cat.' Bean made deprecating sounds with his lips. "'I suppose people have been wondering where I was,' confessed the flapper as they descended upon the granite steps. "'I forgot to tell them I was going. Better hurry to Pops or he'll be murdering someone.' A man took his bag and preceded him into the big hall. "'Engaged, too!' called the flapper bitterly. He found Breed imprisoned in a large light room that looked to the west. Below the windows a green hill fell sheerly away to the bank of a lordly river, and beyond rose other hills that shimmered in the haze. A light breeze fluttered the gaily striped awnings. Breed, at his desk, turned his back upon the fair scene and fumed. "'Take a letter, G.M. Watkins, President, Iron N.C. Railway,' began Breed, as Bean entered the room. "'Here, sir, replying yours of 23rd instant, would say, "'Ouch, damn, that foot don't take that regardin' traffic gream, "'and now fact that occasion may rise in near future "'to men same in accordance with stipulations. "'Informally made a conference held last January. "'We'll notify you in due time for changes.' Made yours very truly have some lunch brought here in a minute. May have to stay three, four days till this whoo damn foot gets well. Take letter H. J. Hobbs, assistant, vice president, D. N. Ellis Railway, New York, New York. Dear Hobbs, market personal replying yours even date. Stock purchases going forward as rapidly as thought. Wise under circumstances it is held mostly and small lots in too active a market might give rise to silly notions about it. The day's work went on, familiar enough, with the exception of Breed's interjections. He spoke words many times that were not to be taken down, and yet Bean forbore to record his wanted criticisms of his employer's dress. There was ground for them. Breed had never looked less the advanced dresser. But Bean's mind was busy with that older sister, she of the marvelously drooping eyes. He had recognized her at once as the ideal person with whom to be wrecked on a desert island. A flirt and engaged, too, was she? No matter. He wrecked himself with her, and they lived on mussels and edible roots and berries and some canned stuff from the ship, and he built a hut of native thatch, and found a deposit of rubies, gathering bushels of them, and he became her affianced the very day the smoke of the rescuing steamer blackened the horizon. And throughout an idyllic union, they always thought rather regretfully of that island, they had had such a beautiful time there, and his oldest son, who was left-handed, pitched a ball that was the despair of every batter in both leagues. Such had been the devastation of that one drooping glance. This vision, enjoyed while he ate the luncheon brought to him, might have been prolonged. He hadn't remembered a quarter of the delightful contingencies that arise when the right man and woman are wrecked on an island. But he looked up from his plate to find Breed regarding him and his abundant food with a look of such stony malignance that he could eat no more. Breed with his glass of diluted milk and one intensely hygienic cracker. But during pauses in the afternoon's work, the island vision became blurred by the singular energies of the flapper. What did she mean by looking at him that way? There was something ominous about it. 
He had to admit that in some occult way she benumbed his willpower. He did not believe he would dare be wrecked on a desert island with the other one if the flapper knew about it. At last there was surcease of breed. Have em ready in the morning, he directed, referring to the letters he had dictated. Go out and muse yourself when you get time, he added hospitably. Now I got to hobble to my room. If you see any women outside, tell them go on downstairs if they don't want to hear me. He stood balanced on one foot, a stout cane in the other hand. Bean opened the door, but the hall was vacant. Breed grunted and began his progress. It was perhaps not more than reasonably vocal, considering his provocation. Bean uncovered a typewriter and sat to it, his notebook before him. For a moment he reverted to the island vision. They could be attacked by savages from another island, and he would fight them off with the rifles he had salvaged from the ship. She would reload the weapons for him and bind up his head when he was wounded. He fought the last half of the desperate battle with a stained bandage over his brow. There was a sharp rap at the door, and it opened before he could call. The flapper entered. "'Don't let me disturb you,' she said, and walked to the window, as if she found the place only scenically interesting. Bean murmured politely and began upon his letters. The flapper was relentless. She sat in her father's chair and fastened the old look of implacable kindness upon him. He beat the keys of the machine. The flapper was disturbing him atrociously. A few moments later another rap sounded on the door, and again it opened before he could call. A shrewd-looking, rather trim old lady with carefully coiffed hair stood in the doorway. "'Don't let me disturb you,' she said, and again Bean murmured. "'Mr. Bean, my grandmother,' said the flapper. "'Keep right on with your work, young man,' said the old lady in commanding tones, when Bean had acknowledged the presentation. "'I like to watch it.' She sat in another chair, very straight in her lavender dress, and joined with the flapper in her survey of the wage slave. This was undoubtedly Grandma, the demon. Bean continued his work, thinking as best he could above the words of Breed that she must be a pretty raw old party going around voting, smashing windows, leading her innocent young grandchild into the same reckless life. Nice thing, that. He was not surprised when he heard a match lighted a moment later and knew that Grandma was smoking a cigarette. Expect anything of that sort. He had wished they would go before he finished the last letter, but they sat on. Grandma filled the room with smoke. Now he's through, proclaimed the flapper. How old are you? asked Grandma, as Bean arose nervously from the machine. He tried jauntily to make it appear that he must count up. Let me see, I'm twenty-three last Tuesday. The old lady nodded approvingly, as if this were something to his credit. Got any vicious habits? Bean weakly began an answer intended to be facetious, and yet leave much to be inferred regarding his habits, but the demon would have none of this. Smoke? No. Drink? No. He desperately wondered if she would know where to stop. How's your health? Ever been sick? I can't remember. I had lumbago when I was seven. Humph. <laughs> Gamble? Play cards, bet on races, go round raising cane with a lot of young devils at night? No, I don't said Bean, with a hint of sullen defiance. He wanted to add, and I don't go around voting and breaking windows, either. But he was not equal to this. Well, I don't know. She deliberated, adjusting one of her many puffs of gray hair, and gazing dreamily at a thread of smoke that ascended from her cigarette. 
She seemed to be wondering whether or not she ought to let him off this time. Well, I don't know. It looks to me as if you were too good to be true. She rose and tossed her cigarette out of the window. He thought he was freed, but at the door she turned suddenly upon him once more. What in time have you done? Haven't you ever had any fun? But she waited for no answer. I knew she'd admire you, said the flapper. Isn't she a perfectly old dear? Oh, yes, gasped Bean. Yes, 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 indeed. She is that. End of chapter 6